Uh, good morning, everyone. How we doing? Yeah, is anybody in love with Jesus today? Hey, if you are, let's give him a big shout as we kick this off today. Everybody watching online, thank you again for tuning in. Don't forget to like and share the live stream. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Can we say hi to our online viewers this morning, church? Can we just give them a shout of appreciation? Hey, thank you guys for joining us. That said earlier, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Eastgate Church, which really doesn't mean much other than I'm the lead servant around here. But I'm excited about today, though, guys, because we are kicking off a new series, and we're calling it Unshakable. Unshakable. Uh, we say a lot of stuff around this church. We say uh, one, of the, one of our biggest little slogans we say around here is that at Eastgate, no one walks alone. And we believe no one walks alone. We did a message a couple of weeks ago to that fact. and talking about how as we watch each other's backs, we're actually mirroring the gospel with our interaction with each other and preaching the gospel with our love for one another. We believe that a church should watch each other's backs. We believe that a church should lift each other up. We believe that a church, see, I'm going to wake you up in just a second. Maybe we need to pause here. Everybody run out and get some coffee and then come back in here. Are you guys awake today? Yeah. All right. Are we all ready to have some fun today in the presence of God? Look, we believe that if you're going through some stuff in life, that your church should rally around you and help carry that load as you walk through life. Yes. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. And we don't just want to throw out slogans around here. We're really big about actually following through with what we say. And in a political season, isn't it refreshing to hear that there's actually people that follow through with what they say they're going to do. Um, so we wanted to do a series on making ourselves unshakable. Because we know life happens. We know life throws storms at everybody. And we also know that the Bible speaks to all those situations that we're going to face in life. And I believe that God has equipped us with his word to be able to withstand all the challenges that life throws at us. Because sometimes life can hit pretty hard. Don't you know that? Sometimes life can just throw some great punches when you're not expecting it. In fact, that's, that's most often when life throws those punches, when you don't expect it at all. And uh, we believe, though, that the Bible gives us some truths to apply to our lives so that when that stuff happens, we might have to take the punch, but that doesn't mean it's going to knock us out. We can live a life that's unshakable through the situations and circumstances of life. And so what we wanted to do is, is to equip over the next several weeks, to equip from the Word of God some practical things to help us apply the Word of God to our lives so that when this stuff happens, we can be unshakable because the goal is for all of us to finish this thing. I'll say it again. The goal is for all of us to finish this thing. We all want to finish strong. We all want to complete the task that God's given us. We all want to finish that race. At the end of the day, we all want to be in heaven, ruling and reigning with Christ, living out that eternal reward that he has for us. We don't want to fall short and get taken out along the way. And our heart over the next few weeks is to make sure that we are giving you some powerful tools that will be game changers for your life and game changers for your walk with God so that you can be equipped with some things to help make you unshakable so that you can finish that race. Because we're in this thing for the long haul. It's in the long haul. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so we want to make sure that we're all running that race together. If you got your Bibles or you brought your tablets or whatever you're reading on nowadays, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And I think we've got all these notes on version as well. So if you pull up the Bible app or off of version, you can follow along with message notes today. We've got the scriptures on the screens for you this morning too. In case you ran out of the house real fast and forgot to bring something to read, on, to read with, we got you covered on that. We were thinking about you today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, kind of bears out the heart of what we want to accomplish with this series. It says, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, I want to pause there for a second before we go much further. Okay? It does little good to hear the word of God if you don't put it into practice. 
So showing up to church and hearing guys like me throw out Bible truth, and we, sometimes we get excited and we shout, and we're like, yeah, that's awesome. That's really speaking to me this morning. That's great, but hearing it is just not enough. We've got to apply this stuff to our lives. And listen, that's me included. I can't just preach this stuff to you or teach this stuff to you. I got to be walking it out in my life because if I don't, I miss out on something key here that Jesus is saying is that if you don't just listen to the word, but you actually apply the word of God to your life, if you apply it, then what you're doing is you're building your life on a solid foundation of stone because you're putting the word of God into action in your life. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Boy, that sounds like a whole lot like the weather we just had the last few days. Is anybody still waiting for their power to get cut back on at home? No? Well, God, all right, that's cool. I only had some people that didn't get their power cut back on until last night. That's just crazy. But uh, glad we're all juiced up. Maybe you guys online, you're watching on a phone or something because you don't have power in your house. We're hoping that... Um, all the linemen can do that. Isn't that awesome, though, that we've got linemen that are go out there and work 24 hours to get power restored to the community so we don't have to go without? But this big storm came. The winds rose and blew, and all this stuff is happening. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, I'm going to go backwards for a second. How did this house have its foundation on the rock? Because it listened to the word of God and it applied it to its life. Or the hearer applied the word of God to their life. And they had a solid foundation. Listen, if you want a solid foundation that will see you through the storms of life, you've got to listen to the word of God and apply it to your life. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. It fell because it built its house on the sand. Now, a lot of times we focus on build your house on the rock. Don't build your house on the sand. Build the house on the rock. Don't build the house on the sand. And that's not the point of this passage of Scripture. The point of this passage of Scripture is apply the Word of God to your life. Because if you do, you will not fall apart when the storms of life come at you. So we've got to be a church. We've got to be believers that are putting the Word of God to work in our lives. Biblical principles help make up that foundation that we build our lives on. Jesus, in this parable, he gives two pictures, a house that's on rock and a house that's on sand, a house that's solid and a house that's not. And if you want to go a step further with it, you can say that you could build your life on biblical principles or you could build your life on substitutes to those principles because we're going to be building our lives on something, guys something's going to be the foundation of our life. And it's either going to be the Word of God and the Bible, or it's going to be something that we're substituting for what should be the Bible as a foundation. So instead of building a, a life that's built on peace as a foundation, okay, because peace is the principle of the Word of God, peace has absolutely nothing to do with what's happening around you. Peace is a byproduct of your relationship with Jesus. Okay, so if we build our lives on that, then no matter what the storms are throwing at us, we've got peace as a foundation. A substitute to that, though, is if we don't have peace and if we don't have that solid relationship with God, then we're building our lives on something that would kind of be the opposite of that, that should be. Peace should be there, but instead something opposite is there. Maybe, maybe worry, maybe anxiety. Maybe, maybe we're stressed out over stuff that we should be giving over to God because life is pressing down on us. And instead of having that foundation biblically where we're hearing it and applying it to our lives, we've got substitutes in there. You know, instead of having a life built on forgiveness, we've got anger and bitterness and all kinds of hurt that we carry around in our lives because we're not applying the word of God. We're just listening. Is this making sense to you? See how practical this stuff is? This is what Jesus is talking about here. And, and if we don't have the truth of the word of God there, something's going to be there that we're going to be building our lives on. If it's not the real thing, then it's a substitute. And here's where the devil comes in because the devil wants to give us substitutes 
to put in place of where the word of God should be in action in our lives. And so he's going to feed us all kinds of worry, all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of this, all kinds of that. Instead of trusting God, then he's going to give us, he's going to give us alcohol as a stress relief. You know, instead of trusting God, we're going to get, get, get so drunk that we can forget about what's going on, on in our lives. But the problem's still there when we're done. It doesn't accomplish anything. Now we've got to deal with life with a hangover. You know what I mean? How many of y'all have ever had a hangover? Can you say that in church? Yeah, pastor has too many, many lifetimes ago. They're not fun, man. The problems don't go away. The enemy will try to offer you substitutes, though, along the way. One of the biggest substitutes that he'll throw at you, okay? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about these foundational things, and we're going to be talking about the substitutes that the enemy will throw at us. One of the biggest substitutes that he's going to throw at you to try to trap you and trip you and get you to crash is the trap of religion. Religion. Because religion is a substitute that takes the place of what should be a real relationship with God. Big difference between the two. And I, I used to travel around and, and preach at a lot of churches and still as a pastor I talk to people out in the community and this is what I found. A lot of people believe in God. Very few people have a relationship with Jesus. A lot of people go to church. Very few people have encounters with Jesus the other days of the week. Because we're caught in a cycle of religion as a substitute instead of the authentic relationship that God intended for us to have with him. And this is big because a lot of people don't understand this. Okay? Man created religion. Man created religion. There's over 4,200 recognized religions in the world today. 4,200 of them. There's only one Jesus Christ. Okay? Religion is, is man's attempt to try to earn his way into a relationship with God or to control other people or to, to keep people manipulated and in, in this vacuum of power and control and all that. And, and God's not into any of that. Jesus came to this earth and he died so that we could have a real relationship. That's been God's desire since the beginning of time, guys. When he created us in the Garden of Eden, he created us to have a relationship with us. The Bible talks about how he would hang out with Adam and walk around with him in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day and they just hang out. And I, I wish I could go back and, and like listen to some of those conversations because like, what do you talk about with God? I mean, does he talk about football? You know, I mean, who does he pull for then if he's into football? Like, what does he talk about, you know? Uh, does God drink coffee? Something like that. See, I think God does, though. I think um, he created all the, the heavens and the earth and, and all the planets in six days. And on the seventh day, the Bible says he rested. And I think when he sat back and he rested, he drank a cup of coffee. That's just my opinion, though. Just my opinion. But he wanted to have a relationship with us is what I'm getting at. And... All of the temple system that the people of Israel used in the Old Testament, the temple was set up so the presence of God could dwell in the temple and be close to his people. Jesus came and gave his life on the cross so that that veil and that temple could be split from the top to the bottom so that the presence of God wasn't hid anymore so that he could be with us, his people, un unhindered because he wants to hang out with us. See, that's, that's the motive behind Jesus. Not to manipulate, not to control, not to throw a whole bunch of rules at people. That's what religion does. And I tell you, people are really good at coming up with some rules to throw at people. And uh, people are, are, are really good at signing Jesus' name to, to rules and, and stuff that Jesus really has nothing to do with at all. Really doesn't. And uh, religion is a trap. It's a trap. Um, a, good, a good breakdown of religion is is this, it, religion is a double-edged sword. It's off-putting to those who experience it, and it brings spiritual death to those who operate in it. How many of you have ever been around a bunch of religious people? <laughs> Man, aren't they so much fun? I walked away from church and my walk with God for, man, I forget, probably five or six years. And it was because of religious people. 
because I read something in the Bible and I saw something different in the lives of the people in the church I was involved in at the time. It's crazy. And they were really good about telling me what I should wear and what I shouldn't wear and what I should listen to and what I shouldn't listen to and what I should watch and what I shouldn't watch and, and what a good Christian was supposed to be doing and what uh, a Christian should never. You ever heard that phrase, well, if you're a Christian, you should never? Be careful when you hear that. Now, there, there are... There are scriptures that, that encourage us to be holy in our lifestyle as believers. And as you get closer to God and he's changing you on the inside, that holiness works itself out into your life. Okay, But there is no cookie-cutter form that you can throw on somebody and say, now you're a Christian. Because you look like a Christian, you talk like a Christian, you act like a Christian. You're a Christian now. It's all outside. And Jesus is about what happens on the inside. And so religion is off-putting to the people that see it, and we've probably all experienced that, but what people don't realize is that it brings spiritual death to everybody that operates in it. There's a reason why when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he said, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're just full of dead men's bones. You're dead on the inside. And so it kind of forms the two hinges of a trap. You got it. You're damaging the gospel on one side, and you're killing yourself spiritually on the other, and it just snaps together like a trap. I wonder how many people we know that are caught in this little trap of religion in their lives. You know, if you're not careful, the enemy's really slick with what he does, and he'll get you to substitute relationship with religion, and he'll put you in a position where you out of that overflow of religion are damaging other people's walk with God. And more importantly, I think, is that you're sentencing yourself to eventual spiritual death and you end up trapped. Some of y'all jumped. I saw you. You jumped. I saw you. I don't want to live my life like this. Hey, look, I have lived my life like this. It was one of the most miserable dead times in my life. I'll be honest with you, I had more fun and felt more alive before I got saved than I did when I was caught in the stupid trap of religion. Because it's death. You're performing all the time. You're trying to look good all the time. And at the same time, you're trying to control people. I'm going to put this right up here just so it stays in front of us this morning. We'll figure out if it's going to stay. We'll see. Yeah. Perfect. It's a double-edged sword. Go to Galatians chapter 1. I know this. I don't ever want to have religion in my heart or in my actions ever again. How about you guys? Never, ever, 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 ever. The writer of Galatians kind of addresses this. He says, in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's what religion is. It presents itself in the church as an alternative to the gospel. It adds to what Jesus never meant to be added to, so, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Pervert the gospel of Christ. Boy, that's one thing I never want to be accused of right there. I've been called a pervert before, before Jesus. Sometimes my wife still calls me a pervert. I don't get that. Any of you, any of you guys ever have that problem with your wives? I don't know. I just, but, but I never want to be called someone who perverts the gospel of Jesus. Ever. Amen. Ever. I did a little bit of digging on this word, pervert, and it comes from a Greek word that, that reads and pronounces, you can pronounce it like this, metastrepho. It means to pervert. It also means to corrupt, to distort. And here's something interesting. It means poison. To pervert, to corrupt, to distort, or poison. And this is just what the enemy wants to do. He wants to slowly poison our relationship with Jesus. Yes. And I don't think he's going to give us like a full cyanide pill 
that would kill us just like that. He likes to do it one drop at a time, I think, over time. You take a big enough dose of poison, it's going to kill you instantly. But if you slowly mix it in over time, it's going to weaken the body, weaken the immune system. You're going to get sick. You're going to have health complications. And long term, you're going to slowly die out because of a little bit of poison over a lot of time. And this is how the enemy works. A little bit of poison over a lot of time and we don't even realize how subtle he is sometimes and I see this happen in church world a lot well Pastor Josh I hear what you're saying I'm not a religious person I believe I have a relationship with Jesus well let me give you some characteristics that I see as a pastor of people that are slowly being tiptoed into this religion trap by the enemy one drop at a time and sometimes we don't even catch it in church world how about this? How about if you go to church on Sundays, but you don't pray or read your Bible any other days of the week, you're slowly stepping into a religious cycle. Why? Because you're in the habit of going to the church, but you don't have a real relationship with Jesus. You're not hanging out with him. You're not spending time with him. And sooner or later, it's going to catch up with you. Or... Here's another thing that religious people do. They, they go to church, but they aren't connected to the church. And I'm not saying that they, they haven't been coming to a church for very long, and this is maybe like their third or fourth time coming in. They're still checking things out. But if you've been at church for a long time, and you know that that's your home church, you should be connected to that church and involved and giving to support the ministries of the church and, and all of that stuff. Like if you're there, you're there. You're not just showing up to hear a great message or worship and then you leave that's called you might as well be attending a show somewhere you're not involved in what's happening in the place well it's a religious trap because you're in the cycle of coming but you're not in the cycle of participating and stepping into the gifts and the talents that god has given you and we've all got those things uh religious people that go to church but they don't share their faith or witness to anybody you know they say that Less than 2% of Christians actively share their faith with anyone. That smells a whole lot like religion. Because if I had a real relationship with Jesus and he was changing my life, I would tell other people about him. I really would. Most people don't talk about Jesus and we don't realize, oh my gosh, I've been slowly, slowly dripped into a spiritual coma. One drop of poison at a time. And I've lost that excitement. I've lost that zeal. I've lost that passion. I've forgotten everything that Jesus has done for me. I'm just used to going to a church now so I can be fed and I'm not worried about anybody else. They go to church. Y'all probably seen a person like this before. They go to church and they do the right things. They're giving. They're involved. They look like the model Christian, but they sit in critical judgment of other people all the time. All they talk, do is talk about people. They gossip, they slander, and they criticize 24-7. That's religion. And the big one is they, they use rules for behavior modification instead of Jesus for life transformation. Big difference. Religion is all about behavior modification. We want you to act a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way. Jesus is about life transformation. Life transformation. Romans chapter 3. This kind of breaks it down a little bit better. It's, it's just a reminder in a way. It says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Okay? The law talks, is like back in the Old Testament, if you're not you know, up on like your Bible reading and stuff, back in the Old Testament, they had something that was called the law. Okay, it started with the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses. And then the Levitical law was added to that. Now, I know everybody's going to go home and drink coffee and sit around the table and talk about how awesome the Levit Levitical law was and what it can teach us. You know, it's just one of those things that's in the Bible, but doesn't really have a huge impact on our lives today, but it's in the Bible. That's the law that he's talking about here. No one was ever made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law simply shows us how simple 
or how sinful we are. Listen, rules exist for people that break them. Laws exist for people that break them. And what God did with the Old Testament law was he gave us a bunch of laws to show boundaries, to display to us how sinful we really were when we went past them. If there's a speed limit on the road that says 55 miles an hour, you know why it's there on the road? Because once upon a time, people didn't drive 55 miles an hour on that road. I probably would have been one of those jokers, man. I like to open up my car every once in a while. Uh, But it's there because they figured that's the safest amount of speed you can go and be a responsible driver on that stretch of road. So it says 55. And if you are a safe, responsible driver, then you're going to drive under that 55 because you're just naturally going to be a safe, responsible driver. But if you, but if you like to go fast, if you got Ricky Bobby in your blood, I want to go fast. I want to go fast. Okay, that speed limit is there for you. It's there for you so that a police officer can zip up behind you and go and pull you over and write you a ticket because the laws are there for people that break them. It's there for people that break them. This is why I say you cannot legislate morality. You can't do it because people are going to naturally do things based on who they are on the inside. Okay, you cannot pass a law that's going to get rid of racism. You cannot pass a law that's going to prevent people from taking a gun and murdering someone or taking a knife and murdering someone or speeding on the highway. Why? Because people are going to do what people are going to do because that's where people are. And Paul is saying here in the book of Romans that the law, all of it, was there to simply show us how sinful we were. It was there to reveal how corrupt we were on the inside. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that one more time. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about rules. It's not about requirements. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because when Jesus gets a hold of our hearts, we become what the Bible calls a new creation and we're changed from the inside out. Not laws trying to tell us what to do, but now we are we're changed into that person, that new creation. And now from the inside out, we become that responsible driver who's going to keep it under 55 naturally. We don't need a a law to tell us, okay? We don't need the police to tell us because we're naturally going to be that cautious person. I say that to drive home the spiritual principle. When Jesus changes us on the inside, you don't need anybody to tell you you don't need to watch porn anymore. When Jesus changes you on the inside, you don't need anybody to tell you that filling yourself with filthy communication coming from R-rated movies or, or... or music or whatever else. You shouldn't be listening to that. You don't need that because Jesus inside of you makes that change and it becomes something that's natural inside of you that you you want to step away from that and move closer to God because of what's happened on the inside of you. Is that making sense? Making sense? That is called a relationship with Jesus, not religious requirements. Why are you spending so much time on this, Josh? Because it's incredibly important to your walk with God. So important to your walk with God. Look at this. Here's a reminder. We're all made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You know what? Jesus is for everybody. He's for everybody. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you came in here dressed like. It doesn't matter. Listen, he is for everybody. He does that work in everybody's heart. He's not a respecter of persons, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standards. We've all sinned, and we've all messed up. How many of you would say, Pastor Josh, in my life, I've sinned? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I know we're not the kind of people that have sinned a whole lot. 
Send just a little bit, just a little bit. Larry Miller, the audio tech in the church, his nose is growing like this because he said, I have sinned just a little bit in my life. Man, whew, I think Jesus spent a little bit longer on the cross just to cover Larry Miller's life. That's what I think. That's what I think happened. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know Larry, he's a good guy. You should get to know him. Don't shake his hand when he's sweating, though. He did enough drugs in the 60s, you might get high. I'm just saying. That's all I'm going to say on that. All I'm going to say on that. We've all sinned, though. Look, if you've told a lie, that's a sin. You know what sin means? It's an archery term. It just means to miss the mark. It means we fell short. We missed the mark of God's standard. It means we're not perfect. That's all it means. Not perfect. All sinned. All made mistakes. Just a reminder, listen, before we start pointing fingers at people and demanding people jump through hoops, just remember, you know what? We all deserve to go to hell. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd all be there or be on our way there right now. It's all about him. And we can't ever get outside of that in our relationship with God. Why? Because religion does a lot of destructive stuff. It's off-putting to people that see it. And it kills us spiritually. When we step out of the simplicity of our relationship with God, we get into a dangerous situation, guys, where the devil starts to slow drip that passion and that fire and that intensity and, and that genuineness and that realness away. Guys, don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose that. God made this stuff simple. He made it simple. He made it easy for us to serve him made it easy for us to have a relationship with Jesus. We complicate it through religion. Religion will always oppose what Jesus is doing. This is one thing I know for sure. Religion will always oppose what Jesus is trying to do. As a pastor, I promise you, the trouble, the, the, the people group I have trouble with the most is not somebody that walks through the doors of the church high as a kite with liquor on their breast, sitting down trying to learn more about God. Okay, the person I have the most trouble with is not somebody who has never been to church their entire life and comes in and doesn't know when to stand up and when to sit down. The people I have the most trouble with are religious-spirited people, hands down, because they will always stand in opposition to what Jesus is trying to do. Luke chapter 5 is a great example of that. Luke chapter 5, verse 27, we're going to start reading there. After this... Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. This is something you didn't say to tax collectors in Jesus' day. All right. You had, like, with the Jewish people, there was, like, this rank of people that are to be despised and not associated with. And it was, like, Gentiles, Samaritans, um, and then you would have sinners and tax collectors would be at the bottom of the totem pole. Tax collectors. Why? Because they viewed tax collectors as traitors. And some of you may or may not know this. They saw them as traitors because tax collectors then were Jewish people who were employed by the Roman government to impose Roman taxes on the Jewish people. And the Roman government told them, hey, look, uh, you guys, go ahead, get us our money, but here's the deal. We'll sweeten it up for you a little bit. Whatever you want to add on to what they owe, you can keep that for yourself. And you can do it legally. So tax collectors were Jewish people who were extorting their own people. And so if you had a tax bill of $1,000 that you owed to Rome, a Jewish tax collector would say, hey, you don't just owe $1,000, you owe $1,300. And they would take $1,300, give Rome $1,000, they keep $300 for themselves or $600 for themselves. And that's how they operated. And if you were a Jewish person, you hated tax collectors. Jesus was a teacher in the Jewish temple recognized as a rabbi. And what he does here to someone who he is supposed to not associate with at all is mind-blowing to me. He looks at this guy, 
And he says, follow me. For a rabbi or a teacher to look at somebody like that and say, follow me, he's inviting him to become his disciple. To, to, to do life with him from that day on. To be in his inner circle. That's just something that you didn't do. People saw Jesus doing this. That, that was, it, 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 it was mind-blowing to them. Jesus said, follow me. And the Levi got up. And he left everything and followed him. So he did what Jesus asked. He gave up everything and followed Jesus and became his disciple from that point on. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of, look at this, tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Jesus is with the crowd that Jesus should not have been around. This is what I know about the life of Jesus, though. Okay, Jesus was always hanging out with people that were nothing like him. And people that were nothing like Jesus were always attracted to Jesus. You want to know why? Jesus wasn't religious. He was offering them authentic love and a relationship with God. And this is what's happening here. Jesus is hanging out with these people that need God. He's hanging out with them, building relationships with them, at a party with them. Doesn't say Jesus was doing shots with them, okay? But he was in the house with them. Doesn't mean that Jesus was taking the blunt when it was passed to him. And he's like, yeah, I tell you what, that Rome, that, that's, that's a problem there, boys. We need to fix that. But, but he was in the house with people that were doing that kind of stuff. He was in the house with sinners and tax collectors. Why? Building relationships with them so that he could lead them to his father. Now here comes the fun group. But the Pharisees, everybody say but. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They just could not get it. They couldn't get it. And they began to oppose what Jesus was doing. And, and beyond that, they, they began to, to, to act out. My next point, and it's that religion values rules over relationships. They were looking at the rules. The rules were you didn't hang out with sinners. The rules were you didn't hang out with tax collectors. The rules were if you were holy, you didn't dirty yourself by hanging out with people that were unholy. Jesus got all up in there because he values relationships over rules all day long. I had a, a pastor buddy, had a pastor buddy who did this youth camp and somebody who his youth kids in the youth group were just reaching out to a big partier and, and drug user in their school. They kept inviting him, inviting him, would never come to the youth group, but he came to youth camp that year and he gave his heart to Jesus at the youth camp and he got saved. And so this pastor buddy of mine said, well, you know, the next Sunday, like in a lot of churches, when you come back from youth camp, then it's testimony time because everybody wants to hear about all the awesome stuff that God has done in the lives of the students at youth camp because it's, it's, it's worth celebrating, you know. And so he goes to this guy and he says, hey, uh, this Sunday, you know, people are going to be giving testimonies. And this guy was so raw. He's just like, what's that? Well, we want you to come to church and get up on the stage and speak into a microphone and tell everybody about what God did in your life while you were at camp. And the guy said, blank, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Raw. And so you pastor buddy of mine, he said, so I had to coach him a little bit. So you get up there, that, that word right there, probably we're not going to use that one. We're going we're gonna to say some different things when we get up there. You know, so he's coaching him a little bit. And the, the kid got up there on that Sunday, gave his testimony talked about how God had changed his life, impacted his life. And he was the last one to give the testimony that day. Put down the mic, stepped off the stage. Band did the last closing song, service was over, and my youth pastor buddy noticed the pastor of the church and some of the board members of the church over talking with the kid who had just given his testimony. And he thought, man, this is awesome. They're encouraging that guy. You know, it's going to be great. They're trying to connect with him so he'll stay in the church and hopefully grow in his walk with God. And, and he noticed 
kind of a, a distressed look on the kid's face. When they finally let the kid go, he walked out of the sanctuary of the church, tears running down his face, and walked out the doors. And the youth pastor was never able to get him to come back to the youth group or to come back to the church after that. Pastor and the board members walked back from talking to the kid, walked over to the pastor and said, the youth pastor and said, how dare you? And he's like, what? What did I do? He goes, how dare you let that kid disrespect our church and disrespect the pulpit and disrespect the house of God by wearing a hat on the stage while he was sharing? And my buddy laughed. He's like, you're kidding, right? No, they weren't kidding. Why? Because religion values rules over relationships. My youth pastor buddy said, two weeks later, I was on the schedule to go to preach in that church. And I walked up there and I talked about what had happened. And my youth pastor buddy said this, if you guys had been more concerned about getting to know his heart and cared less about what he looked like, he might still be in this church today. And it wasn't long after that that my youth pastor buddy was invited to leave the church. Because religion values rules over relationships. Guys, I want this church to be a church that doesn't care about what people look like doesn't care what people smell like, doesn't care what people are dealing with. I want this to be a church for the unchurched where anybody can walk in and experience the life-changing power of God in their lives and see people that care about them, who they are right then and there with no agenda to try to fit them into some cookie-cutter picture of what a Christian is or isn't supposed to look like. That's what I want this church to be. I've experienced it in my life before, and I hate it. It's disgusting. It's off-putting. What we don't realize is it's killing us at the same time. Religion always values rules over relationships. Another thing that I noticed about religion is this, is that religion covers, or not, religion seeks to condemn. Jesus seeks to restore. Religion is always going to seek to condemn. Jesus seeks to restore. Jim, Keely, could y'all come help me for a second? Come stand right here, kind of in this front altar area. Why do y'all call the altar area the altar area at the church? Because like old school in the temple, like the altar was where you would come to to like worship God and to make sacrifices and lay things down as an offering to him. And so we call this kind of the altar area where people come up to lay things down and worship God and and make decisions to follow him, you know, that kind of thing. So that's why we call that, or call this that. Let's say Jim and Keely, okay, y'all are married, cute couple. Hey, aren't they doing a great job leading the student ministry at the church, by the way? They're doing a phenomenal job. Listen, you need to get your kids to the events that these guys put together. They love your children, and they're going to give them Jesus, I guarantee you. And they're going to love them for who they are. They're not going to throw rules at them. They're going to give them some Jesus, all right? But let's say this. Jim, Keely, y'all aren't married. You're up here today, okay, for two reasons. Because I just preached on premarital sex and porn. And both of you guys were shacking up with one another, having premarital sex, and both of you struggled with porn addictions in your life. Y'all come up to the altar and y'all lay it down. Say, God, we don't want this in our lives anymore. This is junk. It's hurting our walk with you. We're going to stop doing this stuff. We're going to do what your word says so we're building our lives on a solid foundation. And we're getting rid of this addiction. You know how many people are addicted to porn and sit in churches every week and don't make a move? even if the pastor deals with it from the pulpit like we do from time to time here because they're concerned more about how people are going to condemn and judge them than they are about getting the junk out of their lives so Jesus can restore them. 
And so when they come up here and they lay this stuff down, this scenario plays out in churches all around America because they've laid it down here. But when they turn around to go back to their seats, you guys turn around and look. Now they have to face you. And what they see more times than not are people that judge and condemn instead of accepting and allow Jesus to restore their hearts and their lives. This kind of junk has to stop in churches like yesterday. Okay. We need to let people have the freedom to be able to come up here and let God deal with anything in their life. Why? Because we've all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us. Listen, sin is sin. It doesn't matter if it's premarital sex. It doesn't matter if it's porn. It doesn't matter if you killed 15 people last week. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. We've all sinned. We've all committed it. It doesn't matter what kind of flavor it is. It's still ice cream. Make sense? Okay, so why would we sit in judgment on people because they sin or have sinned differently than we do? Man, let's let this junk out of the church and let people get right with God and let God move in their lives and let people be healed and restored. Religion condemns, Jesus seeks to restore. I want a little bit more of Jesus in my life and in this church, amen? Let's give them a hand for being great examples today. So... Another thing that I've noticed with religion that I absolutely hate is that like religious spirit and people that, that, that are getting caught in this religious trap, they, they cover things up. Like religion, will, it will cover things instead of dealing with them. Religion will cover things instead of dealing with them. What do you mean, Josh? I mean, it's, it's like when Jesus talked about the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs. It's like, you guys look great on the outside and you're putting on a good show, but on the inside, you're jacked up. I think churches are full of people all over the country that look pretty and dress up great on the outside, but on the inside, they're jacked up and they're trapped because they don't feel like they can step out of that and give God access to that part of them because they're caught in this religious trap and they feel like they're having to earn and present and look a certain way, be a certain way. And if they're not, then it, 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 it's caught in the cycle and they can't get out of it. I see people that are dressed to the nines and on the inside they're dying because they still never forgave the person that molested them. People that, that sing, I mean, pitch perfect on key from the back row, belting out the worship music and just going for it. And on the inside, they're still dealing with the devastation of the rape. Still hear the voice of their father criticizing and talking about how they can't do this. They'll never be good enough. Carrying around the hurt from that person in the other church that you were in before you came to the church you're in now. And instead of forgiving and forgetting, and, and we, we put on a good look and a good face because we're caught in a trap. Because we don't feel safe to come up and let God do what he needs to do in our hearts and in our lives because if we do, then we're... How are people going to look at us? What are people going to think about us? What, and that's the trap that the enemy puts us in. And spiritually, we're dying a slow death. The anger, the rage, the fill in the blank. How awesome would it be to have a church? People were free to come to the altar and let God do whatever he wanted to in their lives. How awesome would it be? Think about this in your life. I'm not, I'm not going to make an assumption about you. You may or may not be dealing with this in your life this morning. You guys watching online, you may or may not be dealing with this as an issue. And maybe you're, you have a passionate relationship with God and being caught up in this religious trap isn't a thing for you. But I know for a lot of people that it is. And how awesome would it be, though, for you? 
take one big breath and to step out of that cycle and forget about what other people are going to think about you because at the end of the day, let me remind you of this, all of these people in your life are going to be able to go to the edge of your grave and that's as far as you're going to be able to go. But Jesus, now that's something eternal. Because once you breathe your last breath, the Bible says you go to one of two places, heaven or hell. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment comes. What a tragedy to miss out on opportunity after opportunity to allow Jesus to do something real on the inside of you because we were too concerned about how we look like on the outside to other people. And we were too concerned about our prestige or we are too concerned about getting our pants dirty or too concerned about our, our makeup getting messed up because we might cry if God really gets a hold of us up here. Too, too concerned, too busy thinking about what we were going to do after a service like this instead of being focused on the moment on what God wants to do in your heart right now. What if we were all real and we said, you know what? We're all jacked up. We're all messed up. We all got junk that we're dealing with in our lives. We've all got stuff that's happened to us in our lives. And we might not like to talk about it all the time, but life happens to everybody. What if we stopped pretending and stopped posing and just got real and said, you know what? I'm jacked up. I sinned. I made mistakes in the past. Maybe I'm making them right now. But I know the solution, and the solution is always Jesus. So I'm going to take who I am, for better or for worse, and I'm going to give my heart to Jesus, and I'm going to let him heal and restore. I'm going to give Jesus access to that part of me that I've had closed off. I'm going to give him my anger. I'm going to give him my selfishness. I'm going to give him... Maybe you're here, and you're one of those people that sit in judgment on other people. Hey, I got news for you. You're in some seriously dangerous territory right now. You need to step off that high horse and get low at the altar and let Jesus deal with your heart. This is a trap. It's off-putting to people, and it's spiritual death to us while we participate in it. Jesus never intended for us to be caught up in a religious cycle, religious rituals, or a religious trap freedom what do you build in your life on an authentic relationship with Jesus where everything's open to him or has some religion snuck in there bow your heads and close your eyes this morning